Hi everybody, my name is Pat Hogarty and welcome back to California Real Estate Finance, Real Estate 320. This happens to be show number 16. And the last time that we met, we were talking about the overall loan process, the process that you go through from the time that you actually apply for a loan till the time that you finally close it and uh, you know record all the necessary documents and receive title to the house. Or if it's a refinance where you have actually refinanced the house and you're expecting to get some money out that you're going to be utilizing to maybe buy a new car or a boat or a plane or pay off some bills or something along that line. What I want to do today is I'm going to be covering some stuff that just deals with the escrow procedures part of it. Now, some of this stuff may in some cases be redundant or feel redundant because we've talked about it before. And hopefully you've even had some of this in uh, real estate principles and real estate practice class. But I'm going to be going back over it again to reiterate uh, what this escrow process is and what happens. And I'm going to be doing that the first part, going through some information that's in the book. And the second part, I'm going to be going out to a couple websites. Uh, specifically, I'm going to just give you a quick uh, run at a thing called eLoan, which happens to be an internet uh, online, if you will, internet loan company that I'm sure all of you have heard about that's uh, advertised on the television just to show you uh, where they are, they're explaining the loan process. And then I'm going to take you, uh, the next thing I'm going to do is take you to a, a title insurance company that has been very instrumental in our internship program called Financial Title. And what I'm going to do is be showing you some things that they have on their website. They have a lot of information that more or less walks you through this entire loan process telling you for example, what documents to actually bring in to apply for the loan all the way through to the final closing. And what's kind of good about this is that it's a link that's in your Blackboard website and something that you may very well want to have a link yourself to so that you have a, especially if you're working with a client, you want to explain how this process works or you want to go back and just have a rough idea. A lot of times, uh, a lot of us, you know, will at that point in time that we're reading a lot of this material, may really have a really good understanding of it, only to find out later on that we forget some of it, especially it gets worse the older you get. I find that I may be really up to speed on something this week, and then next week I'll, I can't even remember what it was. So, uh, again, <laughs> to have a place to go back to to find this information is really important, so I want to show you that. And then, finally, in the last part of your book, they uh, in this particular chapter that we're going to be discussing, they talk about something called uh, Consumer Handbook for Adjustable Rate Mortgages. They put, they don't put a link to a website there, but what they do do is they talk about the Federal Reserve Board that puts out a lot of consumer literature for, uh, for you and for your clients to have. By the way, most of this literature is in, available in the form of where you can open it as a PDF file or you can actually call them and it doesn't cost you any money and they will actually mail you the booklets or uh, consumer information you would like to have. So anyway, I just want to again provide that for you. So what I'm going to be doing over here in a minute is moving over to my old friendly document camera and talking a little bit about what's in here. Again, I'll be reading just to get us off the off the mark and then I'll be talking more about uh, this information. So anyway, as it shows in your book, and let me get my right pointing stick out here, my pencil, uh, it says the last step in the loan process is the closing. When a loan proceeds are distributed and a deed to the property are transferred and recorded, these steps are usually carried out by an escrow agent. In other words, a person, 
When we say an escrow agent now, it doesn't necessarily have to be an escrow officer. It can be an independent third party that's acting as an escrow agent and getting their instructions from all of the people that are involved in the escrow. It says the escrow agent makes sure that all the necessary documents are prepared and properly signed, calculate or they calculate the necessary prorations, they make sure that all the necessary funds have been deposited and provides a settlement statement. Once everything is is in order, the loan funds are dispersed, the deed and other documents are recorded, and the transaction is complete. So that's what the loan, I'm sorry, the escrow officer does. That's their responsibility. What they do down here is they give you a little bit of an idea because here in California, we're used to the fact of dealing with escrow officers. You may go to other states and say, wait a minute, uh, we didn't have a title company that did this. We had an attorney that did this. And you will find in other states that you will have a, a real estate attorney that will be in the uh, business of doing escrow type of work. So this is an escrow is where a neutral third party holds items deposited by the parties to the transaction and disperses them after the conditions of the transaction have been met. Okay, Those conditions, remember, can be everything from a termite report, repair work, uh, appraisals that are done, uh, deposits from clients, all that kind of stuff. That's what we mean. All those conditions have been met. Attorneys, title companies, and independent escrow companies all perform these functions. In Southern California, it happens to be, by and large, independent escrow companies that do that. Many lending institutions have their own escrow departments for transactions that they finance, which is also true. Okay, so you, depending upon who you, what the loan is for and you know, who it's with and what kinds of facilities they have is who's going to be actually signing or helping you sign the paperwork. Actually, <clears throat> even in California now, we have uh, people that are not escrow officers, but what they're called is loan signing agents. And it's um, what they're basically doing is it started out where people were just doing notarizing of documents. So you had like, uh, if you will, mobile notaries. And there were people that would go and take this half-a-day class and learn how to become a notary, and then they could go out and have people sign documents, and then they would become a notary, and they would charge a fee for it. In fact, there are a couple different uh, companies in here in town. One of them is called the Learning Exchange that puts classes on how to become a notary. Then we've stepped that up a little bit where we have somebody that does what we call a loan signer. And, again, that's a class you can go to. And what they are is they're getting documents from companies that maybe don't have a presence in Sacramento, but need somebody to go out and have somebody sign all the documents and turn around and notarize them. Again, all they're really doing in that case is they're just making sure that the, um, that the documents that somebody has highlighted, maybe in yellow, are signed appropriately and that they're notarized. So you have different kinds. But an escrow officer is this independent third party that's the one that actually makes everything happen when everybody has finished everything that they're supposed to be doing. Uh, on the next page... They give you, uh, again, a brief layout or rundown of what this, you know, in major, major steps of what a, an escrow agent does. It says, while agents and loan officers do not act as escrow agents, they, they need to be aware of the steps in the process, mainly because of the fact that, you know, once you are, if you're a real estate agent and you have worked very, very, very hard at showing people houses to buy or maybe trying to help somebody sell their house, uh, and you finally have gotten to the point where you've got an accepted offer and now you're moving down the, the road to close the transaction, remember that accepted offer 
is in reality a contract that's based on people doing a lot of things in order to close the deal. So consequently, a, a really good uh, real estate uh, agent will make sure in, that that escrow gets shepherded through or taken care of in an appropriate manner. What do, what do I mean by that? I mean that they're in contact with the clients, they're in contact with the real estate or the escrow agents, and they're finding out if there's anything that has come up that needs to be done in order to close the transaction. It's not uncommon, for example, for a real estate agent or even some of the parties to the escrow, but a real estate agent to find out, oh, by goodness, we need to have somebody meet the termite person to perform the final inspection or we're not going to close the transaction. And what will end up happening is that real estate agent will drive completely across town and meet this termite inspector in the middle of the day or in the evening if necessary to close the transaction or meet an appraiser. In other words, the real estate agent's job does not necessarily, I think they wish it would stop, but what ends up happening is a lot of times they're involved in making sure that everybody does what they're supposed to be doing to get this escrow closed. So it's very, very important that, that you're aware of who does what within this escrow. The worst thing that you want to have happen is, is to work really hard on a deal, show people a lot of property, spend a lot of your money, and all of a sudden f have it fall apart in escrow because something is not being taken care of. It's a very critical part of it. It's also very important that you have a good relationship established with an escrow officer. Uh, I, I, I you know, so that they, you understand how they work, they understand how you work. Very, very important. Anyway, in a broad brush stroke, this is the things that will happen. Um, again, all real estate escrows involve the following essential or basic steps. The first thing is the gathering of information necessary to repair, uh, prepare the escrow instructions. If you remember, that starts out with the contract the accepted purchase offer, sometimes referred to as the deposit receipt. That is the thing that said that it was a purchase offer and joint escrow instructions. That was the document. That's where this process starts. In other words, that is in writing where those sets of instructions get originated. And, the, and because everybody is signing off on them, the buyer and the seller, that's the basis of this escrow. This is the one that did lists the price, what the terms are, the conditions, when certain things should be done. That's very, very important, how much they're paying for it, what the deposits are, um, who's getting a loan, when they're getting a loan. All those things are laid out in that document. It's a very important document the escrow officer has to see. The second thing is, is that the escrow officer then is going to obtain a preliminary title report, sometimes referred to now as they call them preliminary, just drop the title off and call them preliminary report from the title company, meaning that the escrow officer is going to have contacted their, what we commonly refer to in the escrow title business as their title plant. And within the title company, they have these people called title officers that are going to go through all of the records and they're going to look and see who owns the property, are there any liens, judgments, encumbrances, what's against the property, and they're going to produce this report called a preliminary report. That preliminary report, by the way, gets mailed to a number of different people. It's usually going to go one to the buyer, one to the seller, one to the buyer's agent, one to the seller's agent. If it's a refinance or a finance, it's going to also, one's going to go to the mortgage uh, company or the lender, uh, and the uh, person that is the uh, loan officer is probably going to look at that to see if there's anything that needs to be taken care of right now. So, for example, if there's something that you 
for example, I refinanced a house that I had a couple years ago, or I think it was a couple years ago, and one of the things that I had forgotten about was that I had an equity line of credit. And the reason uh, against the house, the reason why I forgot about it was because I, I, had, I didn't owe any money. I, did, I hadn't made payments on it for maybe a year and a half. But I forgot about the fact that unless you contact the lender and tell them to take that you're not going to use that anymore and to take that off title, you know, to file what's called the deed of reconveyance, it's going to be there. Now, who caught that right off the bat was the person uh, at Viatech. His name is Wally Borland, who happened to be my loan officer, who caught it right away and called me up and said, Pat, you know, and then I had to go to the bank and we took care of it. But usually it's the loan officer that's going to catch that right off the bat. A good loan officer is. The next thing is is that you're going to have satisfying existing loans secured by the property. Uh, what this essentially means is uh, that uh, you know you will probably have on the property. Very rarely do you have a property that's free and clear. So what's going to end up happening is that in order for the escrow officer to know how much money they need to pay to pay to the lender on the existing loan on the property, they order something called the demand. What they essentially do is they contact the lender and say, excuse me, we would like to know how much money it, you need and on what date you need it, as of what particular date, to pay off this existing first or second loan that's on the property. Uh, also, and when you get that from the lender, the lender will tell you what that happens to be, how much money it is as of a certain date, if there are any prepayment penalties or any additional fees or anything like that that are involved, they will let the escrow officer know, and that becomes part of the escrow, so they know how much to pay off the lender. Very important. The next thing is, is that they're going to do is they're going to prepare documents such as escrow instructions, loan documents, deeds, etc. So, in other words, what they'll do, and this used to be an extremely arduous process at one time, the escrow officer had to actually sit down at a typewriter and manually type all of these documents and in certain cases, if I remember correctly, things like notes, the note that you signed could not have any mistakes at all in the note. If you made a mistake, you had to tear it up and throw it away. <laughs> and the reason why is they didn't want anybody to think that you had signed something and then later on somebody had changed it. So that's why they want original copies. So the, loan, the escrow officer had to type these documents, and it was a, a lot of work. And it was before we ever had any kind of computers, so what they ended up having to do is they had to type everything from letters to things that were in itty-bitty little boxes, you know, to put dollar figures in there. So the computer systems now have made things a lot easier. You know, there's programs that are already set up, they load the figures in, and, and it just produces the reports. And what's kind of nice now is that's why it's important that if you have a transaction going on with an escrow officer, that you as the agent talk to the escrow officer and find out if everything is correct and if hopefully you know if there's anything that's going to be coming up that you need to explain to the client when you go to the closing with them. And if you happen to find a mistake, a lot of times the escrow officer can just turn around and say, oh, that's no problem. I'll just go back and fix that error and reprint the whole thing again. Not a problem. Okay, so it's a lot easier to do it then than when the client comes in. Um, they're going to have to take care of depositing of any funds from the buyer or the seller. So remember, this might be additional funds coming in, additional deposits that are coming in, money that's coming in from uh, from homes that they're sold. For example, somebody may buy a house, and uh, they're going to say, you know what, I'll give you a $10,000 down payment, and then once my house closes escrow, I'll have another 80000 to give you. So that might very well be money 
that is coming in from the close of, an, uh, of another sale. The thing that you want to keep in mind, too, with the escrow officer is to find out if they, the best way to get the funds from one escrow to another is to get what we call wired funds. And the reason why is those wired funds show up immediately in the account. Even if you have a cashier's check, and probably everybody that listens to this would not believe me, but even if you have a cashier's check, the bank can put a hold on it while they wait for the funds. So if you have it wired, then it goes immediately when that transaction closes, it goes into yours. So the money is there. And a lot of times deals are all based on, you know, we're closing one deal in Southern California and we're we're gonna you know we're closing and signing in the morning there, and the next day we're signing on the one in Sacramento, or vice versa. So it's really important that we have this set up, okay? Uh, prorating any expenses or allocating any costs. Prorating any expenses would be such things as taxes, uh, interest, uh, any other costs. There might be a, uh, an issue about. Uh, for example, maybe the termite report showed, uh, you know, $2,000 worth of work and the buyer is going to pay a certain amount and the seller is going to pay a certain amount based on a negotiated transaction. Or it may not be uncommon for the buyer to pay for an inspection and the seller to pay for the repairs. So you'll have that kind of stuff. Uh, preparing any uniform settlement statements, that's called the HUD-1 statement, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. That shows where all your money is going, Okay. Uh, issuing policies of title insurance for the buyer and the lender. Okay, so you have a buyer's policy and you have a lender's policy. And then dispersing any funds and delivering documents. Uh, the dispersing of the funds, normally what happens is, is after you sign everything, it's all notarized. It goes back to the lender. goes back to uh, usually their underwriting department. They check and make sure everything is okay. If it's okay, they give the go. Uh, to, re to go ahead and record the title insurance company. Normally, the day that they record the transaction, will do a last final check uh, in the title records to see if anything else has shown up between the first time they did it and now to see if somebody recorded something like a lien or a judgment or another note or something else. And hopefully nothing has shown up. Uh, and then what will end up happening is, is then they record the transaction, which means they literally take the documents and stick them in a clock down at the recorder's office. And then the escrow officer gets confirmation back from the title officer that everything is to go. And then they can start turning around and cutting the checks, such as if you're going to get a check for a refinance and you're going to use the money to buy a new car, that's when you would get the money. Or if you're looking, if you're buying the house and you're looking to get the keys to the house or the garage door openers, they'll say as soon as it records at 9 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we, you stop by the office, you can pick up the keys, pick up your checks or what have you. Okay? And then after that, you'll receive documents in the mail. Typically what will end up happening is usually you may have other documents that may be coming on in the next couple of weeks or next month or something like that. So that's the overall process. Um, this page here, and I'm not going to go into any detail about it, but basically this page right here just basically talks you through the process that I just discussed from the time that you open up the escrow all the way through it. So it says that, you know, starting out here, it says the first step in the process is to open up the escrow. So it takes you all the way through all the language that I just talked about is located right here. And again, this is in a, in a broad uh, statement, a broad list of checklisted items is what this is. This is by no means all the detail that has to be there. Okay. 
The next thing that they show you is what they call an escrow progress chart. And I'm going to try to zoom in on this if I will, if I can. Now, I have seen these charts come in a lot of different types of formats. I'm going to blow it up in a minute. Depending upon which company you work for, which real estate company you work for, uh, each one of them typically is going to have their in-house process that they want you as an agent to follow on you shepherding or managing your transaction. Uh, it's not uncommon, for example, for from the time that you meet the client to establish a client folder. And in that client folder, you're going to have things like the name and the address of your clients. You're going to have where they work. You're going to have a lot of information. You're going to continue to put this stuff in this file folder. You'll have escrow instructions, purchase offers, counter offers, all this kind of stuff. This company you work for, and the reason why I say this is because you may find that if you work for Lion, they may have a procedure that they utilize. You may work for Century 21, they have their process. You work for Remax, they have their process. And the whole idea behind this is it's used as a checklist. And the way that I like to think about a checklist is especially coming from the aviation business, which I fly airplanes, and the whole concept of having checklists is the fact that you check these things off, and I hate to say this, but, but the reason why is because if you miss it when you're airborne, you can't get out and, like, put more gas in the plane, okay, or you can't fix something so it's not working correctly. So you have these checklists. You get very used to the idea of having a list that you verify that everything is done so that you don't get to the end and find out you have some kind of a problem. So what this list is basically doing is, and, again, there's all sorts of various ways this can be done, they're just giving you where you can put down uh, what the item is on the left-hand side, a number. And let me see if I can get this set in here. In other words, this is the item number. This is the date that you plan on doing it, and this is the actual date. And then this, again, is just a brief description of some of the things that you would be doing. And as you do them, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to turn around and initial by you actually putting a date in there or checking something off means that you've actually ver verified and validated that that's been done. And so this is just saying, uh, so for example, notice of sale to multiple listing service. One of the things that you're going to find out is, is that if you have transactions that you're selling, the multiple listing service wants to have their data up to date constantly. They want to make sure it's the most accurate information they have available at all times. So they require that the minute you have an accepted offer, that you change the status in the system to tell everybody so that they know that the, the property is now in a pending state. It's, it's being sold. It's no longer open for people to turn around and, and show their clients to buy. Uh, so you want to know that you've done that. You want to have the buyers, if you can have a buyer's uh, deposit increased when the escrow was open, when the preliminary title report, any clouds on the title. Remember, clouds happen to be some things that make it confusing uh, as to who really, for example, owns the property or if there's some sort of an incidental interest in it. An example of a cloud on a title would be where, in my opinion, is where you have a husband and wife that have been married for a whole bunch of years. And I don't know whether everybody would put this into the category of a cloud on the title, but part when a husband and wife are married, that's considered to be community property. 
anytime anything is sold, bought or sold, both people have to sign. What happens is, is in many, many cases is that somebody dies, and when they die, whoever settles their estate never retitles the property. So now what happens is is that you know the, it's maybe gone through probate, something's happened, and somebody has missed it, and it still shows that the husband who died and the wife are still on title. Then the wife turns around and wants to sell the property, and she can't do it right away because of the fact that the husband is dead and he can no longer sign. That sounds silly, but it's true. So they have to go ahead and do the necessary documentation to change the title from the two of them to her, so now she has the power, which would be the, the producing things such as, you know, the person is no longer there, you know, that it went through probate or death certificates or whatever the necessary documentation is. You have to do that. That would be an issue. Um, so preliminary title, um, anyway, uh, escrow open clouds on the title. Uh, preliminary title uh, searched. This should be something that, believe me, you want to read this thing totally and make sure there's nothing on there that's going to stop your deal. Okay, When you're in this mode as a real estate agent, remember, you're trying to prevent everything that could possibly happen to, to, to not let the transaction go through. So that's why you want to read that report, make sure your clients read it. And when you have contingencies on your offer, make sure your clients have resigned and removed them. You know, you know, like, hey, buyer has read the report, signed it, understands it, and has no problems with it. You want that taken care of. Uh, if there's credit reports that need to be ordered that they've been done, uh, credit report received, ordered and received, they're done fairly quickly. They're done electronically, but in other words, this is in the case where you're looking at the fact that the person's applying for a loan. You want to make darn sure that they did the credit check, that they, you know, you know, again, you may very well find something, even so everybody is preaching the fact that we should almost be checking our credit constantly, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I mean, they've always, almost have us in a panic state now. But the fact is, is that you may find out just with the title report, you may find out on the credit report that there's something that showed up that the client's going to turn around and say, that never happened to me. I never bought that. You know, and you may have to have some time to remove those problems that may be on the credit report. Okay. Um, Credit report received, report residential record ordered. These are some of the things. Pest control inspection ordered. Uh, pest control report received. Uh, pest control report accepted by the seller, so on and so on. Pest control is a big issue. This is something where the house can look really nice from the outside, look really nice from the inside. And what happens is, is that the termite person comes out and, believe me, these people know where to look. They know where to look. There are certain areas in your house that are susceptible to termites, susceptible to, uh, susceptible to dry rot, uh, to water damage, and these people know exactly where to look for it. And these are areas that you, that you may live there for a bunch of years, and maybe you don't crawl underneath your house. You have no idea that the toilet's been leaking for the last year and causing dry rot, and it's about the beam is about ready to collapse underneath the house. You have no idea of that. But the termite person knows where to look. So those can be issues you want to really check. Same thing like, for example, wood that touches the ground, uh, you know, where it allows termites and, as they say, what is it, wood-destroying, uh, uh, wood-destroying, uh, uh, I can't think of the right word, bugs, if you will, coming into the house. Okay, that's the thing there. Uh, any other inspections? 
that are ordered need to be ordered and received and checked off, and you need to make sure these are, you know, that the, whoever needs to remember that that deposit is all contingent upon these things getting removed. So you're going to want to make sure the clients read them, sign them off, and remove those contingencies. Uh, pay off of the beneficiary statement. These are the demand statements. Okay. Loan commitment ordered and received. Okay. Loan application approved. Um, down here is closing, uh, escrow closing instructions requested, call the client, so on and so forth, all the way down, you know, where you have the client come in. Funds ordered, deed recorded, and then this is after the close, um, final adjustment closing statement where the money went. Uh, check to the seller for the proceeds. Check to the buyer for any refunds that they've... Uh, Hopefully, in most cases, what ends up happening is the buyer usually has some money coming back because we're working off of estimates. And typically, those estimates, we try, kind of go on the high side a little bit because we don't want to have to go to a client the day we're getting ready to record the escrow and say, oh, by the way, we need another $3,000. We want to have enough money available for them. Anyway, so this is, this. keep in mind, this is how you're going to monitor the transaction. And again, uh, I think every... Every real estate firm has got their process and their procedure. And in addition to that, title insurance companies and escrow officers will normally provide to you free of charge folders and jackets and checklists that you can use, you know, if you're with a fairly small real estate company that maybe doesn't have all these procedures and policies in place to that extent. So they have a lot of documentation you can use. Okay, the next thing that's going to happen as a result of this closing is something called, and let me zoom back out here, is something called a um, a settlement statement. Okay, typically referred to as a HUD-1 statement or HUD-1 statement. This we've talked about before when we talked about government regulations. Just to reiterate again, the, the statement is a listing of all the amounts involved in the transaction. Let me see if I can get this zoomed in a little better. In the transaction, in, a sale, in sales of residential property financed by institutional investors, the uniform settle, um, settlement statement is used. And <clears throat> down here, I think this is important. That's why I underlined it, because I wanted you to take a minute and think about what these terms mean, because we throw them around pretty loosely, but we want to understand what these debits and credits mean. So they give you a little scenario, a little example here, and I think it's important. It says items on the statement are listed as either debits or credits. A debit is any charge payable to any party. Okay, so it's money that needs to be paid. Okay, for instance, the purchase price is a debit to the buyer and the sales commission is a debit to the seller. So in other words, a debit on, on this contract would show that the buyer is going to go ahead and pay like you know $500,000 for the house or that the seller is responsible for paying something like a $30,000 real estate commission. That would be something. That's something owed by those people. That's a debit for them. Okay. Um, a credit is any item that is payable to any party, <clears throat> but again, it says the buyer would be, be credited with a new loan because that's money coming into them, Okay, and the seller would be credited with the sales price. And then they give you an example here. They say the easy way to think of the statement is to compare it to a check register. 
Debits are checks written against your accounts that you pay out. So debits are things that you write to things like PG&E, SMUD, uh, your MasterCard, your car payment. That's what a debit is. Okay. Credits are similar to deposits in the account, such as pay-ins, things like your paycheck, uh, money that you received from working your second job, things like that. When the transaction closes, the balances of both the buyer and the seller should be equal to zero. Okay, so in other words, when you get all done, <clears throat> this is the old accounting thing, where you put something on this side and you have something on this side. When you get all done, everything should be balanced and zeroed out. Okay, now the reason why this is important, and I'm not <clears throat> going to spend a lot of time, but I've already shown you this statement one time before. This is the HUD-1 statement, and uh, I'm just going to show it to you here. Um, this is the statement that has to be taken care of or shown to the or produced by the um, at the close of escrow showing where all the money went. Okay? And again, I'll just zoom in and out on this up here. Um, this up here is where you're going to put on what kind of a loan you have. Is it FHA? Uh, you know, is it a conventional loan? Is it VA? What kind of a loan is it? And then this is about the property, the address of where the property is located, who the person is. And then if you remember back, this is the statement that I showed you where they have what they call the HUD-1 booklet that FHA produces that tells you what each one of these fees happen to be. This document, by the way, happens to be the document that in most cases <coughs> uh, is required uh, usually by, say, for example, if you're selling a house and you're turning around and going to buy another house, Typically, this is a document that the new lender for your new house may require you to show them so that they can see that you actually did buy a house. Okay? So this is the HUD-1 statement. Okay? So I want to make sure this is a two-page document, and again, this is in your textbook. Um, the, uh, let me see. Down here, they give you just a little bit about that RESPA statement. Okay, a couple details about it. Um, it's called the uh, Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act. That's where it gets its name from RESPA. It applies to the sale of one to four unit properties, so one to four, okay, that involve financing from institutional lenders where the purchase loan is secured by a first tr uh, more, a trust mortgage. Uh, it says it gives you some qualifications here. It says RESPA does not apply to the purchases of vacant land, properties of 25 or more acres, or transactions where the borrower assumes an existing first mortgage. Just to let you know where it does apply. Uh, in a subject in transaction subject to RESPA, the lender must give the borrower a good faith estimate. Remember that good faith estimate was something when they initially applied for the loan to let them know what the loan costs were. Um, uh, of the closing costs at the time of the loan application, the lender is also required to give the borrower a booklet published by HUD. We talked about that before, which describes the closing costs, every single closing cost, what it happens to be. The settlement procedures and the borrower's rights. Uh, the entity handling the closing must prepare the settlement statement on the uniform settlement. Uh, must prepare the statement, which is the escrow officer. And basically, I think... Um, I think that that's uh, the only other thing that they talk about in here is an example of a good faith estimate uh, that you would typically have from a lender. This is where, um, you know, you would be um, 
Again, this would be the first part of the transaction, but the concept here is that you'll know what all of your fees were going to be, items and payable in connection with the loan. So they'll talk about, and I'm going to blow this up a little bit more. You know, these are the things that they would tell you or you would want to know in the beginning, such as the loan origination fee, the loan discount fees, the appraisal fee, the credit report, the lender's inspection fee, mortgage broker fee. In other words, this is all the fees, so you know where your money is going. I cannot overemphasize how important it is that if you're doing this with, say, a husband or wife or a partner or a friend, you're buying a house or getting a loan, make sure you sit down and go over this. Because normally the experience, if you take a look at the fees when you're getting ready to close the transaction, which can be fees that are very close to this, people will say, my God, am I ever being overcharged? Okay? And, you, and what you want to do is they'll turn around and say, you know what, these were things we disclosed to you in the beginning. Yes, it's off by a few dollars, but yes, it's the same fees. So you want to know what they are. This will show you uh, items required by the lender to be paid in advance, such as interest if you're going to have to pay them. Uh, mortgage insurance, hazard insurance, tax assessment, any VA funding fees. Uh, these are, if you're going to have an impound account, reserves such as hazard insurance, mortgage insurance, or taxes. So if they're going to say to you, you know, listen, you're only putting down 5 or 10% to give up, buy this house, so you're going to have to have an impound account. So they'll put those down, those figures down, so you know what they are. Uh, this is going to be the title fees, and these come right directly off of a fee schedule, by the way. All title companies, uh, title and escrow companies are required to make sure that they pro provide those fees, and, uh, they're, and uh, they just go to the fee schedule and pick out the fees and put them in here. So you'll need to know what, uh, uh, you know, with the, uh, things such as uh, escrow, uh, closing or escrow fees, doc, fees to prepare the documents, attorney's fees, title insurance. This is going to be the part down here that will cover what you think um, it's going to take to record the documents. One of the things that the title companies don't do is they don't charge you an additional. F In other words, like if the, if, the, if the county charges you $10 to record a grant deed, the title or the escrow company doesn't charge you 12 <laughs> You know, they just take the fees that are required by the county, and that's what they charge you. But you'll have things like recording fees, city and county tax stamps, state tax stamps, pest control inspections or anything else. And then, again, just down here, down the bottom, total estimated funds that you need to pay off the loan. All right? And then down over here would be total estimated monthly payment. And you're going to get, you get all this in the beginning. Okay? You get all of this in the beginning so you know what those fees and those costs are involved. Because usually when you apply for a loan, you're talking about generalities. Usually your initial thing is, is well, how much of my monthly, you know, if you go into a lender like a Bank of America or Wells Fargo, usually you're asking a lender, well, I'm thinking about buying a house. It's going to be about $300,000. I'm probably going to have to borrow about two hundred and fifty. dollars What's my monthly payments going to be? What kind of loans can I get? What's my points? Those are just general talk you know, while you're shopping. At this point, when they write this is when you've made your decision that you want to go forward, and then they're going to prepare this document for you. Okay. So that's that part of it. What I want to do now is I want to take a minute and show you that's on your Blackboard website, if I can get this to come up, is um, one more hit of the button here, I think. 
Again, this happens to be at your Blackboard website. I'm going to change the size of the text here. This is what it normally looks like. I'm going to make it a little bit bigger so you can see it on your TV. I'm going to go to the website links, and I'm going to go down here to Chapter 8 and 18, what I call 8 and 18, but it's the overview of the loan process and the escrow uh, pro uh, process. Um, and what I'm going to do is I've put in three different links here. I've put in e-loan. So I, I, I'm only going to spend a minute and talk about that. But what the idea is is that a lot of times people now are getting their loans or starting their initial shopping or even doing the whole process online. And the concept behind this is that, you know, e-loan, if you watch the commercials, you have other lenders that are comp competing for your business. They're trying to get you the lowest uh, lowest rate loan they possibly can. So what I wanted to do was just to go in here in the area where I have that will open up is to the actual process. And one of the reasons why I like to do this is because of the fact that I want you to see that what you're reading in the textbook is the same information that lenders or real estate agents are having to provide to their clients. So it's not like we're the textbook is just something that we read, some theoretical document that we really don't follow. What in reality is happening here is that the textbook is telling you stuff that you have to do, and then the websites are reinforcing that. So there, so I'm just going to go over here over e-loan for a second, just for a second. E-loan has where if you're going to be able to purchase, you're going to get ready to purchase a home, you can apply for a loan on uh, online, you can search for rates, you can get pre-qualified, you can do all of that stuff online. Okay, if you're going to do a home refinance, which means you already own the home now, and you're going to be taking money out of it, which could either be an equity line of credit or it could be uh, maybe you're going to get a brand new loan and pay off an existing loan. That's not uncommon, especially uh, when interest rates, if they get so high and then all of a sudden if they start coming down, you'll start reading articles in the newspaper where everybody is doing refinancing because the low, they can get lower rates of interest because you know, maybe they bought the house and they bought it at 7.5 or 8% interest and now the loans are down to 5 and 6, so they're refinanced. They may re even refinance a couple times. Um, they'll talk here about a home equity loan. And again, they have other kinds of loans that are here, auto loans, uh, auto loan refinance, personal loans, so on and so forth. The big thing I wanted you to see here, let me get the uh, stuff moved around, is that this right here explains their process. So it talks about comparing the loans right here, and you can search for the loans and, and get a recommendation from them. It talks about how to apply for the loan. It talks about the e-loan uh, approves, uh, e-loan approves, approves loan, what to do. They talk about locking your, or your rate in, which is important. That, a lock-in is very important. Here's what happens with the lock-in is that you may, for example, especially on brand new homes, you see this a lot, where maybe you're, you're, you're signing the documents today to build a house that's going to take six or eight months to build out into the future. And so maybe in January you sign the documents to start the construction of the house, but you're not going to move in until June or July. What happens is, is that you may find out that maybe in, in, in maybe January, February, or March, there's a very attractive financing rate available at that time, and you want to know how do I lock that rate in? How do I have them hold that rate? So that would be one thing. Or if you just are, you think it's a good rate loan and you want to know how long is the lender going to commit to that interest rate? 
So when a lender says to you typically, okay, uh, I'll give you a 30-year fixed rate loan, 6.5% interest, two points, if that happens to be attractive, and uh, the payments are going to be so much, and your next words out of your mouth would be something like, uh, well, how long will you guarantee me that loan? So then you're going to be talking about how long, you know, when could they possibly change it? Usually most lenders will say, you know what, every day it changes, it goes up and down. But if you want to lock it, in, you want us to hold that rate for you, then you have to sign some paperwork, you have to give us a fee of some sort, which usually that fee is not something you don't, if you go through with the loan, you'll get back, okay? So they talk about that. Uh, they talk about the loan funds, they talk about signing the documents. So what I wanted you to see is that all lenders primarily have to have some way of telling you during this entire loan process what they're going to be doing. I wanted to show you another website that's one of my favorites uh, that gives you a lot of good information on this, and this is Financial Title Company. And I'm going to go ahead here. Okay. And what's really nice about Financial Title Company, what they've done is they've put together this stuff for both you as a professional in the business, but also for consumers. And I really like it because it's easy to understand and it's easy to follow. And so a couple of the things I want to point out to you, and this is important because of, you know, again, you may very well not know the answer to certain questions, and you may very well want to go back and have a resource that's available. So I'm just going to show you a couple things. Uh, first of all, I did want to emphasize one of the things that they do do, and most companies do this, but they make sure they do it, is they have multilingual stuff. So, for example, if you happen to have clients who you yourself happen to speak Spanish, as an example, you're going to find out that a lot of the documents that you need, or, for example, it's not uncommon for maybe you're helping your father, your mother, or maybe your wife, or somebody else that doesn't necessarily speak English well but can understand Spanish well. And the most important thing about this is not the conversion of the the, the English to Spanish is whoever is telling you this understands real estate. So they need to understand the terms well enough that's doing the translation that they can explain it to you. But anyway, they'll have a list of documents here that can explain this loan process to you. So things such as getting, getting a home ready to sell, um, different ways to hold title. If you remember, we talked about uh, joint tenants, community property, things like that. So they have that. Uh, they have a guide to title insurance, again in Spanish, uh, a guide to refinancing, a seller's guide to escrow, so you, you, know, you want to know what the escrow process happens to be, a buyer's side to the escrow, so the buyer knows what they're doing. Uh, things, just real estate terms, just general real estate terms, what do they mean? They have that. Um, they have such things as withholding now, if you remember now, one of the things that's required by the escrow companies, if they're selling certain, if you're selling certain kinds of properties, like investment properties, they're required to withhold a certain amount of those proceeds because, so that when the bill comes due to pay the taxes on the sale, that you have had the money that you've already given to the government entities, if you will. So, and that's something you need to let your clients know about, but it also explains what that process is here. Um, home buyer's guide, home seller's guide, home loan guide, moving checklist, and settlement, uh, uh, settlement of, uh, of information. And then why title insurance? So they have this all listed here. 
Okay, and, and again, multilingual um, language. Under escrow and title, this is the page that I like because it kind of walks you through the process a little bit, and it breaks it down into itty-bitty, I wouldn't say itty-bitty little steps, but it kind of gives you an idea that you can go back in and target what you're looking for. So, for example, if you were just wanting to know what an escrow was, Right down here is explaining the entire escrow process, what they do in Northern California, Southern California, how a resale escrow is opened. You know, all of that stuff is right there for you to read and uh, understand and go back and show to a client. Um, this is stuff that if you have a website, you know, for, for example, uh, if you're taking uh, one of our, uh, let me make this text a little bigger, by the way, here. Hold on a minute here. I'll make it real large. If you're going to take, uh, for example, that uh, class that we're going to give this spring, which we're starting to do, which is called Computer Applications in Real Estate, and you wanted to have something to link to in your website that explains stuff to your clients, this would be a good thing to link to. So anyway, all of the stuff about the escrow is listed right here. How is the resale escrow closed? Again, all that process is located right here for you. The next thing that people will have is like, for example, how do I hold title? You know, what does this holding title mean? This is a question clients might ask. So what they've done here, which I think is really good, is that they give you across the top tenancy in common, joint tenants, community property, and community property with right of survivorship, okay, which is something that you need to be concerned about because if you don't, you're talking about going via will. Okay, and then down below gives you who the parties are, the division of the property, the title, the possession, you know, what happens, uh, conveyance, how you can sell it, all right, purchase status, all of this is listed. What happens when you die underneath that kind of a title, where it goes, so on and so forth. It's all listed right here, creditor's rights, so on and so forth. The next thing is the preliminary report, or we sometimes refer to as that preliminary title report. So it walks you through what this process is, what it's actually doing. So you can explain this again to your client, uh, especially in the beginning of the of if you're going to be in this business in the beginning. Uh, financial title, for example, has a lot of booklets, a lot of training for agents. These are things that you probably want to get copies of and have for yourself, so you're able to explain this to your clients. If you're going to be a real estate agent, so you can be pretty clear on what's going on in the transaction. And then, if there's something you don't understand, you can talk to the escrow officer and find out. Uh, the next thing is, is what's needed when you're doing an escrow. So it gives you a list here, what kinds of documents that you need. This is also good, too, because many times if you're working with a client and the client says, wait a minute, why are you asking me for this stuff or why do I have to do it? It's always a good way to say, well, you know, it's not really me that's asking for it. It's the company. It's the lender that's asking for this. So, again, this lists all the stuff that you're going to need, you know, when you go down to see the uh, – the, uh, if you will, the uh, escrow officer. Uh, costs involved, and this doesn't break down the title cost, but it just talks about costs in general. If you want to know what the escrow and the title fees are, they have all title companies, including financial title, have it's all public information. They have uh, booklets and pamphlets that will give you all the escrow fees, title fees, everything that you're going to pay for. And it's good as a real estate agent that you have that because when you're pu pu doing those net sheets, with a client trying to figure out how much they're going to get out of the transaction when they sell it, it's a good idea for you to know, have a, at least a rough idea what the escrow fees, title fees are going to be, documentary fees, things like that. Um, 
Who pays what? This is another one. Who pays for what? Remember, I've always said everything is negotiable. But this will just give you a rough idea of who typically, um, you know, who would pay for these kinds of fees. Okay, this is who, um, here are some of the costs that the seller may pay. Notice the word may. May means negotiable. And these are the fees that the buyer may pay. Okay, lots of fees. Okay, lots and lots of fees. All right. Uh, the next thing is, this will talk just basically about title insurance. Very important because this gets to be mysterious. You know, what kinds of title insurance are there and who buys it and who benefits from it? So this tells you right here, it tells you what kind of policies there are, the CLTA and the ALTA policy. It talks about what CLTA policies do and who co who's covered by them, Okay. Uh, they talk about any additional coverage you can get with a title insurance policy. Uh, they talk about a CLTA owner's policy. And then somewhere down here, they talk about the ALTA policy, which is sometimes we call them the lender's policy, but it's the American Land Title Association policy. So again, a lot of times, even for me, trying to remember what does an ALTA policy cover, what does a CLTA policy cover, blah, 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 or at least to the point that I know, hey, wait a minute, there's something I don't know. I've read this. Let me go back and call up my title rep or let me call financial title and find out, you know, what kinds of, uh, what the answer is to the question so I can properly answer, answer it for a client. Okay? But uh, anyway, again, an ALTA policy, knowing what this is, and in a snapshot. That's what I like about it. It's not like it's reading pages of legalese just to understand what this concept really is. Uh, going back up here again, uh, let me see. We have a glossary of term. Uh, oh, if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to do a for sale by owner, so they have some information on for sale by owner that you can do. You can also get something called a property profile from them, which is a copy of your things like your grant deed, your plat map, tax roll, assessor's parcel number, stuff like that. That you'll need if you're going to close, if you're going to work on the transaction. Typically, this stuff is done. The real estate agent obtains this information and provides it for you. But you can get this also if you're going to sell on your own through a title company. Okay. Normally, that there's no fee for that either. Okay. Um, the other thing in here is they talk about different types of loans that you can get in general terms. So they'll talk about things like VA loans, FHA loans, conventional loans, all these different kinds of loans, home equity, so on and so forth. So if you wanted to find out something, say, like on VA loans, you click on that button, and it'll take you out, and it'll talk about the VA loan process. So in other words, a very good, another very, very good resource of information for you, if you will. Um, let me go back up here. Uh, if you're interested in your credit, this talks about your credit, which is a vital part, checking your credit, your credit scores, um, so on and so forth is all listed right here. And I wanted to get to, um, okay, documents needed, all the documents that you typically are going to need during the process are all listed here, okay, income and employment, so on and so forth are all listed right here. And uh, let me go back here. Um, this is the loan process. So this is the one that's basically about this chapter that we've been talking about. This talks about the loan process, what the first step is. Okay, so the book talked about it. They talk about it, so it must be important. 
what the first step is, the loan application, uh, meeting the loan officer, uh, after you fill out the loan application, what does it mean my loan is approved with conditions, what that means, which is typical. Most of us have it approved with some form of conditions attached to it. Uh, what does close of escrow mean? Uh, what does the right of rescission mean? All that stuff is all listed there. And then I don't have the time to go over this, but they do have, uh, if you're in, interested in doing something called understanding loans, types of loans, uh, such as conventional loans, non-conforming, conforming, government loans, so on and so forth. They have that there. And then they also do have a thing here called calculators. And um, I don't have enough time, but there's a number of these on the website. Here is where you can get graphs of, in other words, things such as your payoff, pay down of the loan. So you can calculate all that. You can see it graphically in the form of a chart. Uh, so there's a lot of other stuff. One other thing I want to show you, I think there's enough time for this, is that the last page in your book talks about something called a, uh, an adjustable rate mortgage handbook. And so what I wanted to do is to show you, I've put a link in there for that, which is right here, the federal, our friends at the Federal Reserve. And this, by the way, comes uh, both in an HTML and a PDF format. You can order copies of this. And by the way, the Federal Reserve has tons of documents, booklets that you can order about this process. In fact, I think I've said this many, many times. If you ever wonder where the uh, people that write books on how you purchase real estate or finance or where they get their information from, if you spend just a day or so on the Internet, it's amazing the amount of information that's free and not only free, but it's coming from the government. You know, the government is contracted with people to write these documents. But this is about adjustable rate mortgages. And this becomes very important because this is one of the things that you really need to understand. Uh, you can get yourself in trouble because you get a loan, you get a low interest rate, and then later on you don't realize that they're going to raise the interest rate in maybe a year, two years, three years, or five years. So, again, this is called the Consumer Handbook on Adjustable Rate mortgages. And again, there's a link to this at your Blackboard website. And this is just going down and explaining what adjustable rate mortgages happen to be, how the rates work, and everything is pretty much listed in here. Again, I don't have the time to go over this in any detail, but this is something that's provided for consumers so they understand these loans. You see two types of loans that are really getting a lot of consumer information, adjustable rate mortgages and reverse mortgages. With that, I want to thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you back here the next time. Have a nice day.